morning everyone crappy mondays and welcome to the news agenda with me fleet street fox and today i'm joined by my fellow mirror columnist and associate editor kevin mcguire good morning kev yeah good morning foxy and now this is the people's paper review so get into the comments ask us your questions we will do our best to answer them for you those of you listening later on podcast are just going to have to see if you can persuade the dup so if there's any point of it at all. Now, what have we got for you today? Well, the mirror has splashed on a 20% rise in energy bills expected to come in this April when government support is due to end. Now, for those for whom last year is a dim and distant memory, uh, the average house in April 2022 paid a combined electric and gas bill of about £1,971 a year. That works out to about 164 quid a month. And that was after the war in Ukraine had started, right? It started pushing prices up. It used to be about 100 quid. This April, with the price cap rising, the average bill is going to be £3,000, which works out to 250 quid every month. And Kevin, it's pointing out here that that is going to push another 1.7 million households into fuel poverty. So there's going to be millions of people who just can't afford to pay that, aren't there? Yeah, that'll be 8.4 million households uh, spending more than 10% of their income on on, fu- on fuel bills, heating and uh, light, which is uh, which is what the definition of fuel poverty is. You know, it's a, it's a phenomenal uh, blow, and this is what the cost of living crisis is is about. People are really feeling the pinch, I think, on energy bills and on food. They're, they're two the two areas you you've got to you've got to have light, you've got to have heat, you've got to eat. So they're unavoidable expenditure. You can cut back a little bit, but nowhere near. Because as you as you point out, they've essentially doubled now in just over a year, and then they're going to go up another 20 percent. That cumulative increase is going to be getting on for for one and a half times. And uh, yeah, the, the government can do something about it. It can do more if it chooses, but at the moment, it isn't. No, and. Uh... Morning, Mike. Morning, Roger. And uh, morning to public art critic, uh, possibly not his real name, who says how people tolerated the Tories for so long. Um, I suspect, public, that if uh, the Labour Party had been in power for 15 years and was having these same things to deal with, we'd be saying the same stuff about Labour. Because some of this is down to government policy and some of it is just sheer bad luck. Um, Kevin, do you think this is down to the Tories? Do you think that, I mean, obviously... The, They've got the solution, haven't they, to try and fix this? They can set the price cap because that's, you know, that is within their power. They can tell us how much we our energy has to be. Yeah, the, the, the big rise in fuel wholesale fuel prices was caused by Putin invading Ukraine, disrupting supplies, great rise around the world from that. Can't blame the government for that, but you can blame the government uh one for continuing with a cap that uh, didn't work anyway, really, because it was on uh, gas prices, wholesale gas prices at the time. When that, you know, why isn't it linked to renewables and a lot of the uh, cheaper energy, energy forms? Uh, two, the government could have done more to take money from these companies that have got windfalls, that war windfalls, and not from investment and innovation. It could have come in with a windfall tax without loads of loopholes, something that really hurt and use that to subsidize bill, bills. And then thirdly, it could just uh, it could, it could just use public funds to get people over this what is hopefully a temporary um, hurdle a real a real pain because it's it's fed through into inflation but it's also fed through for instance the public service strikes which are basically 
being created by rising inflation as people try and protect their living standards. So I think the government's made a complete uh, hash of it. So, yeah, it didn't get all the blame, but it certainly deserves some of the blame. Yeah, it certainly fudged the handling of it, hasn't it? Now, Roger says this cost of living crisis is getting way out of order now. This all adds into the cost of living and the, the general how you manage to <clears throat> get through that day. Um, the one upside I can see, perhaps, Kevin, is that this price rise comes in in April when, of course, lots of people are turning their heating off, turning it down. Um, mm -hmm. Those of us who have their hot water heated by gas or electric mm -hmm. are still going to have to have that. Um, and, you know, it, it's you can't not use the lights at nighttime, really, in quite the same way. Alan says it's time for the government to grow some and do something about it. The wholesale price has been falling. What's going on? Yeah, well, I understand. He's got a point, doesn't he, Kev? Because the wholesale price is falling, which has given the Tories about eleven billion pound of windfalls, money they weren't expecting to have. But the government's got to use that eleven billion. I mean, I presume Jeremy Hunt's going to want to have a March budget, which has him handing out cash or looking like he's handing out cash. Really. Yeah. But he's got to pay for nurses, paramedics, junior doctors. He's got to pay for all the public buildings that have got bigger energy bills now. Um, it, some of these things have to take priority. How can they also use the same money to subsidise our fuel? I mean, they've, they've got to square that circle somehow. Yeah, they? but the, the government hasn't spent anywhere near as much as it, as it feared it would have to. <clears throat> so therefore, you could roll that uh, that cash over and uh, impact now. But you, you're quite right. There's no, no doubt. Let's not avoid it. There's a lot of demands on um, public spending. But targets, when the, the government will say, oh, there's a black hole or whatever, well, it, it sets a target. It shifts the target all the time. It's kind of a, it's just an accountancy system by the government. I mean, personally, I would have energy in the public sector. I would, uh, I would have us owning it, and then we could perhaps, as the French have with EDF, you get much smaller uh, rises. I think it's only 6% in electricity over there, much higher here, in fact. EDF operating in the UK has made a fortune for the parent company back in in France, it just are. It's whether two sides of the government are. And I think too often with this government, it's on the side of the energy producers and suppliers who are getting huge um, profits. And I've got a lot of fat cat bosses who are getting all the cream up the price of other people. But you're quite right. When you get to spring, you use less uh, electricity and gas. However, if you're on a direct debit, that is planned for and that your direct debit payments uh, are the same all year round, but you'll uh, go into your account probably in deficit from mm. the winter. Mm. So, yeah, you, you use um, less electricity and gas, but you're basically just paying what you've borrowed uh, last winter or will be putting aside for next winter. Different for people on prepayment meters, but we know that they pay a higher rate uh, all, all the way uh, through the year. Exactly. The people that are going to suffer the most through some of this, people on prepayment meters, that there could be directed help for them. They could be using the regulator to set that uh, energy price either cheaper or the same as everybody else's. The fact that it has to be more when you are the poorest, I always found quite disgusting. But when yeah. they cap energy prices for the consumer, what they're also doing, of course, is capping profits for the actual the producer <clears throat> so the consumer gets their prices capped but the the producer also gets their profits capped and i suppose the government would argue well look we we have a windfall tax of sorts it's a bit of a small one but we have a windfall tax of sorts on that so we do end up taxing that as well at the other end and then we can use that to pay back to consumers but hang on a minute why don't they just cap the prices to start with so we've all got more money in our pockets so we can 
we don't need the extra tax sort of coming through. I mean, if they're against a windfall tax, that would be the sensible thing to do is to cap the profits, cap the the cost for us, and the economy keeps limping along. No, no, you could absolutely. If if it was publicly owned, that'd be very easy to do, and then you just run the you know the energy sector uh, either at a at a at a profit, big profit, or occasionally a loss, and you could probably justify a, a loss through this period to protect. Uh, people and then if we get into a position of rising living standards again then you can begin to claw some of that back if you if you like but yeah the, the system they've gone for with private companies uh, does seem incredibly complicated for instance the issue in a vouchers which are you know a significant portion have never been claimed by people because they're unaware they are they are there and you're quite right about prepayment meter users they tend to be um those in the lowest income brackets who are paying the highest rate for their fuel and that's just is morally, morally wrong. Everybody should pay the same rate. In fact, the argument would be those on prepayment meters should probably pay a bit less, but you now the companies try and justify them paying more on the grounds it, it costs more to administer that system than those of us who are more comfortable with bank accounts and we just sign a direct debit. Yeah, exactly. And of course, then there's some people with private landlords who are running the energy bills for yeah. them and necessarily getting all the benefit, the, the money, the £66 a month that's been coming off. Uh, and there's people like me who's part of your fuel is uh, is heating oil because there's mm-hmm. nothing else out here in the sticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the money for that has I just got a letter, I got an email last week saying oh, you've got 200 quid off your fuel bill, your oil mm-hmm. bill. I bought my oil last June yeah. and it was three times what it normally was. So yeah. to get 200 quid now is kind of well, OK, thanks very much. Susie, Susie can I just say, though, are you going to get a very sore uh, left arm holding that mug up? No. <laughs> No, I've got, I've, got, uh, I've got a chair here. I'm not just sitting around like this, like a teapot. I actually have a chair that I lean on. Don't worry. I've got a mug like yours, but I forgot to bring it. I've got my uh, Sunderland winning the Papa John's. Oh, goodness uh, sake. What's the point of having some brand product placement if you don't yeah. use the right product? Sons of Sunderland. Yeah. Newcastle fans asking, will appreciate it, though. They keep asking us your questions, everybody. Do you appreciate Kevin Sunderland mug or the News Agenda mug? Which, of course, goes out to the people who ask us the best questions. Um, what do you think about the energy bill crisis? Do you think the government should do more? Do you think the government's got enough to do with this money and it has to spend things a bit more wisely? And April might be the right time, considering we're using less, to let the prices go up a bit. Uh, but I have to move on to another story now. And on to page two, the question which is going to dominate the news today. And you're going to hear a lot about this. You've heard a lot about it already for the past few weeks. Can the Tory party move on from Brexit? Uh, with polls showing that only 2% of the country actually give a toss about this anymore. Uh, Most of the people in Northern Ireland are quite happy with the protocol, Uh, but Rishi Sunak has decided to stake his entire political capital on a new Brexit deal uh, in the hope that this is going to give the Northern Irish Assembly, uh, get them going again in time for the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, which is coming up, and then a planned state visit by Joe Biden none of which will look good or could happen if the DUP has collapsed Stormont over Brexit. <clears throat> so, predictably, the headbangers of the Tory party, and there's one picture there next to Mr Sunak, aren't very happy with it. The DUP usually aren't happy about anything anyway. The deal is getting presented to the Commons today, isn't it, Kevin? And the, the EU president, Ursula von der Leyen, is coming over for a joint press conference when they're going to announce this brilliant deal they've come up with. So what is their brilliant deal? Yeah, it, it all seems to be very uh, choreographed with uh, Ursula von der Leyen, the uh, European Commission president, coming over, as you say, 
talks with uh, Sunak, then he'll uh, speak to the cabinet, then they'll have a little joint press conference. He, he may make a statement to the House of Commons, that's kind of expected, and at some point the deal will be published. Now, that the... the that Brexit was a bad idea. Northern Ireland was uh, ignored, really, the problem, that 310-mile land border, which if the UK was outside the European Union. If it wasn't going to be there, you know, the UK button, the European Union, where was it going to be? So to avoid jeopardising the Good Friday peace agreement, was put down the Irish Sea with essentially checks on goods going from Great Britain to Northern Ireland and the other way, then from Northern Ireland over into the Republic of Ireland and the EU common market in Singapore. And the, the agreement by Boris Johnson, which so I think he has an absolute cheek over uh, the, the, the criticism now of Sunak, was he essentially agreed to pretty bureaucratic controls. Um, so a supermarket uh, truck going over needs a, basically a bit, a bit of paper, a form for just about ev everything, and all sorts of restrictions were introduced. Now, what Sunak is trying to do is to simplify all that and have a green lane for stuff that just goes from Korea, Britain, England, Scotland, Wales to Northern Ireland. And then there's a red lane where you'll have some more checks, but it won't be onerous going if if the stuff then goes into the Republic of Ireland, the European Union. And there's, a, there's areas such as Boris Johnson agreed VAT rates, for instance, would, would essentially be in Northern Ireland would mirror would would listen to what's happening elsewhere in the European Union. Now, he's trying to get rid of some of that, but there will be, as John Major says, a minute oversight by the European Court of Justice, which is enough to send the Brextremists of the Tory party, the European um, research group, crazy, and to some extent the DUP. Now, the DUP doesn't speak for the whole of... of Ireland. It, it kind of... Uh, it, it gets all that corner of Ireland. It, it gets confusing because... Remember, Northern Ireland voted to stay in the European Union. Almost all the other parties uh, wanted to stay in the European Union. They see how the protocol works. They'd like to get rid of some of the bureaucracy, but they understand why it operates. But the DUP, I think, yeah, it's become a extremist party. But it also, I just wonder about the good faith, whether it wants the protocol issue to be resolved, because if it does, they said they'd go back into power sharing, and the Stormont Assembly, which has not been meeting for more than a year, would, would uh, start uh, gathering again. Well, if they do that, there will be a Sinn Féin First Minister. And I just do not believe the DUP want a Sinn Féin First Minister in Northern yes, Ireland. Yes. So they're looking for excuses and reasons to uh, to not go back into power sharing. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of other stuff going on, isn't there, around it with the DUP as to what, yeah. what it is they're actually oh. after. Because I mean, they were the DUP were always pro Brexit, but always rather slightly didn't really like the Good Friday Agreement in the first place. And the one thing about Brexit is that you have to have a yeah. patrolled land border with the EU, which the DUP yeah. knew full well all the way along. So that, maybe that was why they supported for Brexit. You're now, right. The DUP opposed the Good Friday Agreement back in 1998. Uh, Jeffrey Donaldson, who's now their, their leader, he was at the time a uh, member of the Ulster Unionist Party, David Trimble's party, which was for it and helped negotiate, and he, and he quit over mm. at the DUP, although Ian Paisley later had a change of heart and became first uh, minister with a uh, joint, uh, really, well, running Northern Ireland with Martin McGuinness of, uh, of Sinn Féin. Mm. Yeah, but the, D, the DUP is, is, is still hostile to elements of that, uh, that agreement. Yeah.
And they, they, they would very much like to spend the 25th anniversary with it not really working very well, I would have thought. Now, Fiona says, and this is in response to the thing I said earlier, most people in Northern Ireland are happy with the protocol. Mm -hmm. She says, most people in Northern Ireland are not happy with the protocol. Well, Fiona, I've had a quick Google. And according to Belfast Live, our sister website in Northern Ireland, uh, our sister paper, most voters in Northern Ireland do not rank the protocol among their highest policy concerns. The top concern uh, was the NHS, followed by the economy. And about a third of people have put the protocol in their least important concern, that of the the thing they are least bothered about um, in Northern Ireland. It may well be they're not entirely happy with it. You might be entirely right with that, but it's yeah. not. It's not up there, top of their yeah. agenda of things to worry about. But it yeah. is at the top of the agenda, isn't it, Kevin, for a lot of people in the Tory party who have spent the past, oh, my God, nearly seven years screaming at us about this kind of stuff. Do you think when Marc Francois or Jacob Rees-Mogg or any of these people, Ian Duncan Smith, come out and start talking about the DUP or the protocol or a land border or a sea border or anything else, most of the public are going to go, huh? Not this again. What? Shut up. Yeah. Go away. I don't care. It's yeah. going to damage them, isn't it? They, before, when they did this, it made people think, well, you're either you're they're going to protect Brexit or destroy Brexit, and it broke us all apart. Now, when they're doing it, it's going to unify us. We're thinking, please just stop. Please just sign Rishi's deal and move on. Yeah, the, the, the crazy loopy loons are, are so doctrinaire and ideologically driven they can't let the you know the last war go. They've got to keep on fighting. Well, I think most people who've moved on wherever you were, remain or leave, kind of acceptance. And most people now, you get majorities. People regret Brexit. Wish we'd stayed in. They can see it's 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 not delivered what was promised. Others would argue. I would argue it's a it's a disaster. But people just want to make it work and go. I think the, you know your disagreement on the protocol is. People in Northern Ireland agree with it in principle, but the operation of it, they would like to be made a lot simpler and less bureaucratic to ease uh, to ease tra uh, trade. But they're not saying get rid of the pro protocol; they're just saying make it work better. But there are there are these people in the Conservative Party, some outside the Conservative Party uh, too, not not all in the DUP either, who are just obsessed with it, and it's it's it is utterly utterly ridiculous. Mark Francois, I think he chairs the European research group now, which in truth isn't uh, what it was, but he said in an interview, we know what's going on, we're not stupid. Well, I think Mark Francois sometimes does sound very stupid on this. I and think if yeah, I thought... the, yeah, if you got to the point where a lunatic anti-vaxxer is uh, actually the chairman of your group, then probably everyone else has left the group. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You've got to remember, Rishi Sunak in 2016 uh, was a Brexiteer, he backed Brexit. Uh, he's backed it all the way through. But what's happening now, instead of uh, Brexiteers blaming Remainers for what goes wrong, they blame each other. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm Brexit, I'm more Brexit than you. Yeah, oh, but this is the thing, isn't it, Kevin? That a lot of people, um, this, this, this validated them. You know, the likes of Marc Francois, where would they be without Brexit? As Rebecca was just saying there, you know, Boris Johnson was the cause of all this. And now he's walking around trying to say that it wasn't me. It was some bloke called Joris Bronson. Um, without Brexit to validate and, and give them a, a thing to get their teeth into, yeah. Marc Francois, the Ian Duncan Smiths, the Boris Johnsons would just be and eccentric on the back benches. Because yeah, well, of this, it made them who they are, and therefore they yeah. don't want to let go of it, do they? 
Yeah, well, John, Johnson's the lying liar who can't stop lying. He just lies all the time. And, of course, he just used Brexit. He didn't really believe in it. I've known him for a long time. He was very hostile to the European Union, but didn't really believe in Brexit. Didn't think he'd win the referendum. He just saw it as a route to number 10, which it worked out for him as a career development opportunity. Fantastic. But somebody like Marc Francois, we wouldn't be talking about him now. Nobody would have heard of him outside his Essex constituency if it hadn't been for, for Brexit. And perhaps that's what he can't let go. It's yeah. his rolling 15 minutes of fame, but I think he's in danger of becoming, well, certainly a figure of fun. He's probably there already, but he's becoming something of a hate figure. And he, and he may he may prove how powerless he, he is now if, if this deal, as we think it is, gets through, which it should. And but Remainers like me, look, we, we lost, we're losing again. This is still Brexit. It's just making Brexit work better but for some of the obsessives they just they just have ridiculous red lines they keep they keep drawing but that's it it's, it's his reason for for existence yeah. i think it's made the tory party ungovernable i mean that is the problem because they all just jump up and down and scream and shout about things all all the time and they just look like a total rabble yeah, exactly. This is what your column's about today in the paper. Now, Paul says, Theresa May's deal was probably the best, where everyone stayed in the single market and customs union. But of course, Paul, who destroyed that? The DUP! They're back again. Um, and so, very briefly, uh, Kevin, you mentioned there that the, stuff, the topic of your column, the fact that they're, they're just tearing themselves apart again. Now, if this comes to a vote, this new deal, which will probably happen at some point, but not immediately we're told today that sort of Tory broad church that's crumbling that you talk about there they're not going to be able to get all of those people through the lobbies in support of it but Labour have said they would support it because they do want Brexit to work and they certainly don't want to reignite all this again and they do quite like the fact that they have to keep rescuing the Tory Prime Minister on this issue so um you know what's going to happen to the, the party though in Sunak is he are these headbangers a big enough majority that it matters, like it used to, or are they increasingly mm. irrelevant even to the Tories? Yeah, I've, I've no doubt it will go through Parliament, but what Sunak would want uh, to do is to make sure he gets the majority of his own MPs back in it so he's not entirely reliant on Labour, Lib Dem, SNP uh, votes. But the problem, the problem for Sunak is he is unquestionably weak. He's coming at a very bad time after Liz Truss. He wasn't even elected by the Tory party, he just got enough nominations from MPs. So he's just going to be fighting time after time after time. There's just battle after battle. And I think he'll just get absolutely exhausted by it. Um, I also I also think uh, like, sorting out the protocol is a good idea. And yeah, he may deserve some credit for that. However, why didn't he think about this in 2016? Northern Ireland was completely ignored by those campaigning for Brexit, despite... Tony Blair and John, John Major, ex-Labour, ex-Conservative Prime Ministers, both warning you've got a 310-mile land border between those six counties in the northeast of Ireland and the rest of Ireland. What are you going to do? And it was just completely ignored like so much else was. Yeah, exactly. And when people said this is going to start the troubles up again, I remember journalist Lauren McKee got killed in the kind of protest that yeah. came after that Brexit vote. They said, oh, no, you can't. There'll be no restart of the troubles. You're being absolutely far too dramatic. Let me just quote you quickly. Um, this is what someone said on the 26th of June 2016. The British people will still be able to go and work in the EU. 
to live, to travel, to study, to buy homes and to settle down. There will continue to be free trade and access to the EU single market. Now, Kevin, when I tell you that that comment appeared in the Daily Telegraph, you're going to know who wrote it, aren't you? Yeah, it'll be Boris uh, Johnson. He's £250,000 chicken feed column, as he called it. Uh, he, just, he just lied and lied and lied. He created his own false reality of of Brexit. And there was a mania at the time, I think, in the in the country. Brexit had not been much of an issue for more than a tiny minority of people, often didn't even poll in the top 10 issues that mattered until Cameron, for strategic reasons, a disaster, promised the referendum. He then got majority. The Lib Dems couldn't stop him after the 2015 election. And Boris Johnson, who was going to side with Cameron, then goes against him for his own reason. And he just he just made it up as he went along. Yeah. Well, the one thing I suppose uh, Cameron did manage to achieve with that vote is what he wanted, which is, you know, he was being stuck with problems by UKIP, taking away the Tory vote and this starting this big old row about Brexit and everything. And then he has destroyed UKIP. Where is it now? He's got no yeah. council, there's no MPs, no nothing. It has gone. It has yes, lost it's its party. Yeah. <laughs> it is an ex-party. So there was that. That's one thing they gained from it. I suppose Cameron was right in that respect. But of course, Thanks for the rest of it, Dave. Now, we do need to move on to some good news. But in the meantime, uh, we'll have a little wrap up of questions at the end. What do you think about your energy prices going up? Are you happy to pay an extra hundred so quid a month? Is that going to be Do you think that people going to have a real problem with that? Um, and what do you think the government should do with the unexpected windfall from the drop in wholesale prices? And what do you think is going to happen with the Tory party in this Brexit deal? Does it matter anymore? Does anybody care? Uh, when is Marc Francois going to go away and shut up? Um, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Right. But first off, we do have found some good news in the world for you. And here it is. Now, I don't know what the average age of our viewers is, but for anyone who remembers the 1970s, Baby Sham is making a comeback. Uh, and of course, Tom Cruise still looks the same as he always did. Now, this chintzy, naff, sparkling wine was a fixture of dinner parties. All I can remember of it is my mum had a bottle in the cupboard for, I think, the entire 1980s as well. Um, and it dropped out of fashion. But now someone's bought the band and is planning a revamp. And this sparkling wine is going to be everywhere once again. Kevin, you probably remember the 70s a bit better than me. Uh, is this <laughs> proof that if you leave it in the cupboard long enough, everything comes back into fashion? You cheeky. Anyway, I do remember the 70s. See, I'm right. I enjoyed, I enjoyed the yeah, the series, but you never drank baby sham. It was just brilliantly marketed, and it's the the family of the the, the bloke uh, from um, Somerset who in, invented it. It's pear based. It's a it's a it's a perry uh, fizzy alcoholic, so it's not one of your five a day. Um, they they bought it back and are, are going to give it a bit a big push. But I think the I think it was brilliantly marketed. I'm not. I never, I never ever, when I would go in a pub, see anybody drinking it or know anybody who drank it or anybody who bought it. There lots of other great things in the 70s. Some of them have survived, like Blamange and uh, Angels Delight Trifles. Do you remember them? I still have Angels Delight regularly. My daughter loves it. But Blamange, was that a 70s thing? I thought that was a Victorian thing. <laughs> How old are you saying I am? You, <laughs> on, then you insult me like this. <laughs> but oh, you can oh, remember Blamange being invented, Kevin. I think possibly Three you are. Weeks. Maybe we're talking about 1870s rather than the 1970s. Okay. I've got the wrong yeah. 70s, have I? <laughs> but what would you like to see come back from the 70s then, Kevin? Anything else that's not yeah. baby sham? For me, I'd, I'd like free school milk back. I thought that was a good idea. 
Yep. You know, Britain was at its most uh, equal and fairest in the 1970s. I think it's a decade that is uh, unfairly trashed. Often by Tories saying, well, there were lots of strikes. Well, there were lots of strikes because workers were winning big pay deals and improving uh, improving their lives. You know, I was thinking the one thing I wouldn't want back, which isn't uh, directly answering your question, the fashion. Do you remember um, I used to wear bell bottoms? I also used to have incredibly long hair, which would be right down my back, which my dad used to call girl's hair in those <laughs> less enlightened times. But now I'd bring back some of the cars. I would love to see the Ford Capri or the Triumph uh, Spitfire brought back. I always wanted one, of course. I was too young to drive. Yeah, Susie, you might think, really, I was too 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 young to drive. But I'd, yeah. I'd love for those classic cars. Yes, but there's still quite a lot of them hanging around. You still got, I and mean, I wore bell bottoms, I think, in the 90s. It really? doesn't come around again. Uh, and BMX bikes haven't gone anywhere, have they? Mike says the UK produced cheap sparkling wine. Was this is this a Brexit benefit at last? I bet it won't still be cheap though, Mike. When it comes back, mate, I bet they're going to try and make it poncy somehow. Um, you don't, but you don't buy a brand like Baby Sham and uh, just charge four pound fifty for it. You. <laughs> so we'll have to see, won't we? But thank you for all that. Thank you for taking part, everybody. Thank you for explaining it to us, Kevin. Uh, and we'll all be back again next Wednesday for another edition of the News Agenda, uh, when hopefully Rishi Sunak is going to be trying to defend his uh, Brexit deal at, at Prime Minister's questions. He's got to get through that today in the House of Commons, but he's only going to be answering a few questions at the press conference today. So it's all going to go off, kick off on Wednesday, I suspect, when they've had time to read it and get upset about it. So we'll, we'll see how it goes then. But in the meantime, thanks, everybody. Look after yourselves and we'll see you again on Wednesday morning at nine o'clock. Tatty bye. All right.